I wanted to talk about something today. I, Ruth, I'm on Ruth King's email list. If those of you who don't know her, she's a wonderful teacher. She's back. She's out of North Carolina, but she does a lot of teaching up at Spirit Rock, and she sends a monthly-ish newsletter. And she always has these great quotes, and she told us one story. She's been just on the front page, and she was at Spirit Rock recently, and there was a, a snake crawled out of the the brush and kind of parked itself in the in the road. Has everyone here been to Spirit Rock? No? Okay. It's out in, in north of San Francisco, and it's in the, I don't want to say the country, but it's in the wild. It's, it's a lot of land. There's deer and wild turkeys, and so there's a snake, and it just parked itself on the path They uh, right where everybody walks and stuff, and um, you know, back and forth to the rooms, to the hall. And she's wondering why this snake would just, and it's like three feet long, and just parked itself in the sun. She goes, why would the snake expose itself like this just to be in the middle of all the foot traffic? Because there's, it's, you know, they could be in nature without being exposed to anything, but it came out, and she said, because it wanted to be in the sun. And that made her think of the question that she had heard what do you love more than you fear? Which I thought was a really interesting question. What do you love more than you fear? Which got me to thinking about this other, um, this other sentence. I don't think it's a question. And, um, which got me to thinking this other statement I heard from Father Gregory Boyle, I don't know if you know who he is, he's Homeboy Industries, the, the organization, that, oh, it's a great organization, they work with gang, uh, gang, uh, gang members here in Los Angeles or down in downtown LA, and they help uh, gang members, you know, change their lives, and he's been doing that for a really long time, Homeboy, Homeboy has been around for a really long time. Um, and he, he was in, in being interviewed on NPR a number of years ago, and he quoted someone, and this is like the string of quotes. Anyway, he quoted someone who said, live as though the truth were true, which is a, a saying that just it, just, it was like a hand reached out from the radio and shook me, because it just hit me. It's like, wow, what does that mean? Live as though the truth are true. And so I got to thinking about it in the Buddhist realm. I got to start thinking about it in the Buddhist realm. And I actually think that's what Buddha talks about. It's like you have to wake up to the way things are. It's like being in bed with the Dharma. It's, but that's what it is. It's your direct experience. It's how do you um, live as though the truth were true. And that's really what the Buddhist teachings are all about, living the truth of ex- the, your direct experience. Um, welcome to L.A. It's the Eightfold Path. It's the Four Noble Truths. It's like there is suffering. It's because you want what you want when you want it. And there's a way out, and the way out is the is the eightfold path. And I was thinking about this: is um, uh, is you know, and it's also about conditioning that we don't. Act, what is the truth? What is actually the truth? What can we believe? What we hear? 
can we believe what we see? You know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still um, in love with the, the word influencers, you know, because they're the people on social media who get paid to tell you what to think and believe and where to go and what to do that we don't even know about. It used to be called propaganda, you know. <laughs> it's all about propaganda. And, and so it's that none, none of this stuff is new under the sun. I'm reading, I was mentioning earlier, I'm reading Trevor Noah's memoir, um, Born a Crime. If you don't know about it, it's really, if you, you know who Trevor Noah is, he's a host of The Daily Show, but he was born in South Africa, and his mother was black and his father was white, so he was illegal. That was illegal. You know, blacks and whites having sex was absolutely illegal, so his existence was illegal. So that's what he talks about, born a crime. But he was born and growing up just as apartheid was, apartheid was falling apart. But he gives, you know, and it's just so interesting how, you know, the government comes in and tells you these people are not good and these people are perfect ones. And so it's just like we're told what to believe. But I, that's why I think I, I love these teachings. They're so important and they're a guide to discerning what's real, what's true, and what's not. It's, it's so, they're so powerful. They're so important. Um, and I found there's, a, there's a guy I started following, or we're friends, on Facebook. He seems to be a Buddhist monk. And he quotes, he, he, he posts quotes from like Ajahn Chah and really good stuff. I really am enjoying what he has to say. And there was one this morning that he, he, it's a quote from Ajahn Chah saying, if you want to know the Dhamma, where you should look, you must look within the body and the mind. You won't find it in the shelves of a bookcase. Mm-hmm. Sorry, all of you folks who like to read books. <laughs> Me included. To really see the Dhamma, you have to look within your own body and mind. There are only these two things. The mind is not visible to the physical eye. It must be seen with the mind's eye. You must know where to look. You look at the, with the body and the mind. And so, um, yeah, that's where you see happiness and suffering. Have you seen happiness in the trees or in the rivers? No, it's arising from internal. It's inside you. So that's it. It's our direct experience. That's how we begin to see where the truth is and live as though the truth were true. And when I was thinking about this more, I was thinking about the three characteristics of existence, which are uh, anicca, anatta, and dukkha. Those are fun words. Whenever I'm on retreat, I always think I'm going to come out and tattoo a Nietzsche on one wrist and a Nata on the other wrist and just leave Dukkha off to this <laughs> Leave Dukkha alone. Um, so a Nietzsche is impermanence. Everything is impermanence. A Nata is there's no fixed self. We're, we're conditioned beings. We're all uh, a result of our experiences. And that Dukkha, that there is suffering in this world. That's where we have to land to begin to live as though the truth were true, which I think, I think is a is a is a worthy goal. I mean, it's a worthy way to live because we don't want to be living lies, but and we also recognize the the reality of conditioning. But how can we, you know, move ourselves in that direction? It's that again, that setting our intention and moving ourselves in that direction to live in a way that we really align ourselves with the reality. I used to always say, my head and reality were in two different rooms. 
And slowly over the years, I've been bringing them closer and closer together because we have experiences we immediately react based on our conditioning. How do we, how do we align those? The three characteristics. The first one, things are impermanent. There, um, the Buddha teaches. Oh, and the Buddha teaches that life can be correctly understood only if these basic facts are understood. And this understanding must take place not logically, but in confrontation with our own experience, insight, and wisdom. Insight, wisdom, which is the ultimate liberating factor in Buddhism, consists in just this experiential understanding of the three characteristics as applied to one's own bodily and mental processes and deepened and matured in meditation. This is the stuff that I'm quoting is from an article by um, Nayaponika Tara, who did a lot of translations of the suttas as well. Um, so it's like, really, we just have to be, like uh, Ajahn Chah was saying, we have to turn towards ourselves, to our ex- physical, to physical experience, to our bodies, to our own knowing, really disengaging ourselves from the influencers and the propaganda, and, and the conditioning that's out there. Um, we have to, impermanence is understanding that everything is subject to change. Everything goes away, and we cling, and we suffer. In fact, my friend Beth, who um, is an uh, uncabaret, Beth Lapidus, who is... Um, the grand, the mistress of uncabaret. She sings a song at the, every week at the beginning of the show saying change um, makes us so unhappy, but we have to change to be happy. And recognizing that there is change and we don't like it, it makes us ha- unhappy, but it's present. And can we live with the understanding that there is change? And so instead of going into this why is why is it why do things change what how can i make things not change you ever in a place where everything's really good and it's like how do i keep things just the way they are forever you know it's you can't and you suffer from that and we cling to things i i was i was thinking of this when i was looking at my notes it's like I cling to stuff. I'm the person who, um, when I have stuff that I like, I keep it. Like I, I, I remember something when I got for in Halloween when I was a kid. It was like a piece of candy that I was like, oh, this is awesome. And I kept it till it was like bad. And I never was able to. And then one day I said, I'm going to have this now. And I was like, I had to throw it away. I do that a lot with stuff. Like I'll go, oh, this is really good. I'm going to save this for the perfect day. And then it's like, it's like those old hostess cherry pies were like favorites of mine and I'd save them and then I'd try and eat it and it's like <laughs> or I have perfume I like perfume and it's like and then I have this much left and I and so I have all these bottles with this much left in them because I won't use them up because I cling to it and I never use them or if I do it's now vinegar or you know alcohol it's like turned ra- or, or cooking oil it's like oh this is the bad and then it's like oh it's like you know, you have to get rid of it. So it's like we save things and then they're, go- they're no good. They fall apart. And um, I heard a phrase a few years ago, got a lot, use a lot. Got a little, use it all. 
And so that's kind of helped me with that clinging. If I have a little bit, don't save it. Use it, you know? It's going to go away anyway. It's going to, it's going to turn into something that you can't use. So enjoy it while it's here. Enjoy it while it's here. Stop holding on, trying to save things. Make it the way it used to be. We have to have it exactly, exactly the same way so the results will be exactly the same. And how often does that work out? Okay, so everything is impermanent. So um, we have to recognize that, that things change and not turn into robots either about, um, you know, not go into that place of spiritual bypass, which is the other extreme of recognizing. You ever hear people acknowledging the impermanence of stuff, but go, I got this, it's good. You know, they'll get right to this, I'm good, it's all right. Instead of acknowledging their experience that, yeah, impermanence is unpleasant. Impermanence can be unpleasant because we suffer loss. There's grief, there's sadness. You know, I, I went out to visit a friend of mine in Lancaster yesterday who I haven't seen in over a year. Her husband died just over a year ago. And she talks about the grief. You know, she's doing really well, but she goes, sometimes the grief just comes, and I just have to be with it. And it's like, yeah, we have to acknowledge the, the grief of the passing, the grief of the impermanence. We have to be with it instead of just go, oh, yeah, well, everyone dies, trying to get to that, that absolute place. And, and we can't. We have to. Be with the moment. And that kind of leads into the, uh, the another of these characteristics that there is dukkha. There is, there is unpleasantness. Everything. We lose everything meaningful to us. In case you didn't know that, I want to break it to you. But it's just everything goes away. Everything. And not that we walk around fearful because some of us go into a place of like fear-based. You know, I'm going to lose this. How do I... It's, it's just when we, when we have the internal experience and awareness of impermanence, there's less of a frantic experience around it. There's less franticness of needing to hold on or being fearful and avoiding. It's just like, yeah, that happens. And how can I be with what is right now? That again, coming into that direct experience of the Dhamma, the Dharma, the teachings. Of, of, of awareness. Um, yeah, this relationship will end. My husband will, one of us are going to die. But, well, both of us are going to die. <laughs> one of us is going to die before the other one. And can I live in that place of fear or can I live in of, wow, what are we going to do today? You know, to really acknowledge that. My, you know, my cats died. And many of us in this room have had pets that have died. And so I can choose to never have another pet because I don't ever want to experience that again or be with the joy that they bring. And that's the route we've chosen. Not saying one or the other, but just seeing clearly what drives us, seeing clearly what our motives are, seeing clearly if we're lost in the fear and that's why we're not doing something or we're just like, oh, you know, this is not the right thing at the moment. So being clear, clear about our, our actions and our intentions and how we move in this so our aversion to um, our aversion to impermanence and our aversion to discomfort just intensifies in discomfort. You know, impermanence is is not pleasant, but our fighting it intensifies it. It's that second arrow, or our awareness of suffering 
or suffering is unpleasant, but our fighting it intensifies it. You know, that, no, rea- I will fight reality. You know, that's living as though the truth were not true. That's trying to change reality. That's trying to change the truth instead of saying, right now it's like this. Or ask that question, what is this? What's happening right now? Can I be with it? Can I really bring my full attention and awareness to it? And that's a challenging question because we do have a lot of baggage. We do have a lot of... um, um, We have a lot of pain, too, that sometimes we're not actually ready to touch. We're not actually ready to turn towards. Some of us have great trauma or, um, you know, really difficult backgrounds, difficult histories, abuse in our background. And sometimes some of this stuff is incredibly challenging. But I think being willing to turn towards it with the attention, intention to live as though the truth are true, beginning to bring ourselves in this direction to align with it, it's really important. It's really important. You know, we suffer because we crave for pleasure. And we suffer for because we crave for um, becoming a certain thing. Like, oh, when I get that or I need to be this. Or is it something we were talking about earlier? Um, about who we, this idea of who we are and needing to be a certain way. Um, or have people view us of a certain way. Or a belief about ourselves that we think is really... Um, strong, like I need to be a good person, and when we do things that kind of go against the grain, that we suffer from that. Instead of saying, understanding that, you know, we're flawed, and we're what is the word? Good-ish, good-ish, good enough. You know, can we be good-ish? Yeah, I we. That's what the, these teachings are. Is we stumble, we fall down. So if we take ourselves out of this path of perfection, then it'll be. Um, much less painful. And then we also get into the suffering around this this craving for non-existence. We crave for pleasure, we crave for existence, and we crave for non-existence. You know, just can I just disappear? You know, or can I take myself away from this this veil of tears? Because I don't want to feel. And we're really adept at, at distraction and not feeling things. You know, mental... I think this spiritual bypass is a way of, of dealing with that not not oh, I don't I'm I'm really above this now I understand the I understand the teaching of you know of, of impermanence and I understand the teaching of no self and therefore I have no experiences and that's not that's spiritual bypass and that's just kind of basic bullshit <laughs> in my humble humble opinion um and then that third characteristic is that there's no fixed self. And I've talked about this a lot lately. You know, it's one of the things I've really talked about, that condition. We're so conditioned by our upbringing, our upbringing by our family, by society, the influencers, the propaganda, the messages that we've been given and, um, and told all our lives. I was, I was walking with a friend this morning, and we were talking about that, and she was sharing, you know, the messages that she's received all her life. Like, who do you think you are? So when she wants to do something, this voice comes into her. Who do you even think you are? And it's like, oh, I don't know. Who am I? 
And my messages were like, oh, you're not good enough. You know, so we carry this stuff, this deep conditioning that really um, inhibits us. That's not living as though the truth are true. That's living according to a story. That's living according to a narrative that's so painful. But instead, reality is just these ever-changing processes, these, these awareness, these experiences that come and go. This what's, what's happening right now. So like Ajahn Chah was saying, we have to turn inwards. That's what the Buddha is teaching. We have to be with our direct experience. What's actually happening in the body right now? Oh, what's happening in the body right now is this tightening because this, this thought is, I want to do this thing. And what comes up is this, who do you think you are? And the physical response is this constriction, this tightening of the belly or whatever our, our way of reacting is, which can drive us to shutting down or running away or fighting, whatever our old habitual responses, or with this awareness and this intention to live as though the truth were true, to let go of that conditioned reaction, put it to the side, say, hi, I see you, and do what we want to do or need to do anyway. Really cultivating this awareness of, oh, that's not the truth. That's an old story that has no bearing on what is actually going on right now. And so to live as though the truth were true, we are willing to put aside those narratives. Be willing to be compassionate towards ourselves because it is so painful because that old story brings up a lot of discomfort. But do the action anyway, if we can, as much as we can, starting where we are. That's wise view. That's cultivating, seeing clearly and being willing to turn towards our own experience. So right view is this, this, this practice of liberation. As the Buddhist himself says that he sees no single factor so responsible for the arising of unwholesome states as mind, unwholesome states of mind as wrong view, and no factor so helpful for the arising of wholesome states of mind as right view. There's no single factor so responsible for the suffering as wrong view, and no factor so potent in promoting the good of living beings and liberation as right view. Wise view, seeing things clearly, is how we are free. Being willing to say, this is the truth, can I live with this? And regardless of how, it's, how I think it's going to be or what people say about me or what I'm going to look like or you know, all that baggage that we carry that we may not even know we carry. But if we can turn towards and recognize our suffering, that's what we tend to. That's what we have to pay attention to, and that's what we have to take care of. And that helps us on this path of liberation, which is the Eightfold Path. That's, that's, it says the Buddha's like, here, here's how you do this. First factor, seeing clearly. See clearly what's happening. Recognize the fourfold, the um, Four Noble Truths. There is suffering. Because you want it to be what you want it to be when you want it. There's a way out, and that's the Eightfold Path. 
there is, there is, you know, life is impermanent. There is suffering. There's no fixed self. Set your intention to move in that direction. How do you do that? You live this way. You live with an intention not to cause harm, to be wise with your speech, to not take what's not offered, to be careful with your sexuality, to not ingest things that lead to heedlessness, that cloud the mind. Really be careful, guard your sense door so that you don't cloud the mind. Um, I'm teaching a class, Awakening Joy, and there's a, there's a, a section on the bliss of blamelessness. Living a blameless life, which is practicing the precepts. Really being, being careful about how you show up in the world. Recognizing that there's no perfection. But don't cause harm. Be kind. Be generous. And when you're not doing things that um, are shady or um, less than nice or you intentionally cause harm, there's... There's not going to be that guilt, that, re- that shame, that, that baggage that we carry because of shit we've done. Anybody in here done stuff they still cringe around sometimes, even if it was like a long time ago? It's like, oh, what drove me to that behavior? A lot of times it's fear-based. I did, I did some not nice things in my life, not because I was a, I'm a bad person or I'm evil, what drove me to do these things was fear of not being okay, of a need to take care of myself, thinking I won't be okay, and that's why I did X, Y, and Z. That's why I hurt other people, trying to take care of myself in a very convoluted way, in a, in a very misguided and blinded way, in a very, uh, you know, reality's over there, maybe it lives in the next neighborhood, and I'm here trying to struggle with my conditioning. Mm. And through a lot of work, they start moving together. So the Eightfold Path is a way to start doing that, living the bliss of, having the bliss of blamelessness. Um, And then mindfulness practice, concentration, effort. You know, the Eightfold Path really sums, I I think it's, it's the full package. And then, you know, there's all these other teachings that the Buddha offered to help supplement this and come at it from different directions. But for me, it's been a path of really connecting with the truth and being willing to see when I'm totally clueless. Because I can be clueless a lot of the time because we have such rigid ideas. Well, it's always worked before, so why wouldn't it be the only way? It's like this. there's this the mythology of, okay, if I only sit you down and explain to you the way, the real big picture, then you're going to see it my way. That's what happens in political discussions. We think, if, if, I, only, if I only explain to them that Trump is really right, then they'll see clearly. But that's, that doesn't work that way because people come with their own baggage and their own fear and their own. So we just have to, man, it's so deep. And so, so all we can do is work on ourselves. All we can do is work on ourselves and then hopefully um, um, cause, cause harm. Hopefully um, move forward in a way that, that helps other people, other beings. And so what we need to do is, you know, take refuge in the Dharma. And, and another piece of that is in the three refuges, taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Taking refuge in the Dharma means 
A, taking refuge in the teaching, so taking refuge in the Eightfold Path, but B, taking refuge in right here, right now, the way it is. That's taking, the Dharma is the way it is. Bottom line, it's like what, right now, it's like this. The truth. Live as though the truth were true, taking refuge in the Dharma. How do I do that? How do I be with the way it is right now? How can I stand this if it's, if it's so painful? If it's so painful, how do I hold that? How do I hold that? With compassion and recognition sometimes that we don't have the, the, the mindfulness to hold it, that sometimes we have to back off when we practice skillful means. You know, just being gentle with ourselves, acknowledging our humanity. But being willing to, you know, at some point move forward in this, this, this complete um, dropping into the truth, dropping into right here, right now. Right here, right now. There's a lot of, um, what is it? He says, Tara says, Nayana Panika Tara also says, to see things as they really are means to see them consistently in the light of these three characteristics as I, that I mentioned. Not to see them in this way or to deceive oneself about their reality and range of application is the defining mark of ignorance. And ignorance is by itself a potent cause of suffering. Knitting the net in which man is caught, the net of false hopes, of unrealistic and harmful desires, of delusive ideologies, and of perverted values and aims. Ignorance. I mean, we, we see every day the damage that ignorance causes. Greed, hatred, ignorance, delusion. I mean, it's, it's so much suffering in this world. So much suffering. Ignoring or distorting these three basic facts ultimately leads only to frustration, disappointment, and despair. But if we learn to see through deceptive appearances and discern the three characteristics, this will yield immense benefits both in our daily life and in our spiritual striving. It will give us a saner outlook on life and protect us. Um, it will free us from unrealistic expectations, bestow a courageous, a courageous acceptance of suffering and failure, and protect us against the lure of deluded assumptions and belief. With, all, with growing clarity, all things internal and external will be seen in their true nature as constantly changing, as bound up with suffering, and as unsubstantial, without an internal soul or abiding essence. By seeing thus, detachment will grow, bringing greater freedom from egoistic clinging and culminating in nirvana, mind's final, mind's final liberation from suffering. So being willing to accept these three characteristics, again, leads to freedom. Shit happens, it ends. You know, that's, that's why they, the offering of the, doing the five remembrances every day and the nature to grow old, get sick. And what's the propaganda? No. If you, echinacea, zinc, whatever, you know, clonic, yeah, whatever the, the you know, cornflakes, whatever the thing of the moment is, then you won't get sick. So there's that, you've got, you've got to fight that. I used to think that if I, if I got sick, there was something wrong. 
You know, I mean, not physically, but morally. You're of the nature to get old. Not, not if you're doing it right, you won't get old. If you do it right, see, this is this is like right in the face of the the propaganda that we're receiving all the time. I'm the nature to die. Really, you could live forever almost if you really tried hard enough. If you did it the right way. Um, everything we have will be taken from us. Again, there's that, no, no, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Um, and all we have are our actions. That's really, we are who, how we show up in the world is who we are. You know, our stuff doesn't make us who we are. Our ideas about ourselves don't make us who we are. It's who we are when we show up. What we do is, is what we have. So those are my thoughts on how to live as though the truth were true.